Hey guys, how are you doing this week? Nice to see you again. This is Richard Sachs on Lost Arts Radio, and this is our Saturday in the U.S. time zones, uh, Saturday afternoon show called Lost Arts Radio Live. It's about current events, and I was thinking there's so much going on right now, I was trying to think of how I would use this brief period. It's only an hour-long show, and it goes by in a flash. Um, what I would talk about today, and... I keep harping on this idea that humanity, and not just humanity, but all life on the planet is under coordinated global assault right now. And the perpetrators intend to exterminate life. And I, I don't say that lightly. It's, you know, show me if I'm wrong, but, but this has taken me decades of investigation to come to this conclusion. And I think it's a suicide mission on their part. And they're not doing it suddenly. Because they have technologies that would be, if they use them, we'd be gone overnight. This would all be over and we'd be in a different environment, not in these physical bodies anymore. And they're not doing that. And that took me a while to say, well, if they could and they want to kill us, why are they not doing that? And I came to very gradually the conclusion that this is a protocol that's being followed it's more sacrificial than anything else in the religious sense. Uh, not friendly. <laughs> not a nice sacrifice that you'd like to make for the betterment of mankind or something. It, it's, um, it's the kind where you think that your power that you're serving is going to be real pleased with you if you kill an innocent being by a certain protocol. And the innocent being they chose in this case is the biosphere. In case you're not familiar with that term, the biosphere is all life on the planet. And it's well underway. It's in progress. A lot of species have already gone extinct. Uh, pollution is all over the world. It could be turned around still. I really think that. But it's at a very advanced stage right now. And there's a lot of people who think that uh, the whole climate change hoax is just, it's all stupid and environmentalism is all nonsense and that sort of thing on one level that's true but on another level there's real you know urgent threats to survivability of the environment intentionally being perpetrated by our rulers and a lot of people who serve them without knowing it thinking that they're actually doing good but at the top they know their agenda is destruction and so all these environmental issues that i mentioned on the safe stream show um a couple of them, just by way of example, would be anything, any products that are being produced in uh, society now that are toxic and non-recyclable. The recycle thing is just not some silly new age kumbaya thing. Everything should be recyclable. And if you may notice that that's how nature works, there's nothing in nature that's not recyclable. That's not some kind of, you know, radical left-wing term or something that's normal and when you make stuff that has toxic byproducts or formulate a new chemical to poison the food that we eat like roundup for example but or atrazine or any number of other ones like that that the so-called agricultural authorities teach farmers to use and think it's all approved and safe which is a complete lie I mean, the, the agents may not know it's a lie they, because they got their education and actually believed it. But the people at the top know that poisoning yourself is not 
you know, Roundup is not a health food, neither is atrazine or the others. So um, these are all serious environmental threats and poisons, and uh, not just the physical ones, but the EMF radiation uh, on the approved safe, you know, authorized cell phones, those aren't safe. It's all being done intentional at the top level. And then the educational system is making sure that the servants within that structure uh, actually believe it, believe government approval is watching out for safety. FDA is making sure the food and drugs are safe. And I mean, it's it would be a joke if it wasn't so deadly serious. So there is very serious uh, environmental concern that threatens the life of all beings on the planet. But at the same time, even though humans like to make it oversimplified and say, oh, the environmental causes are all a joke, or we're going to be dead in 10 years if we don't shut down the economy, and, you know, they like to make it simple. Choose a side and start fighting. You have to calm down, drop the ego. If you really want to know what's happening, forget about defending a point of view and fighting with everybody else about it. Instead, substitute the interest. Show me what's true. And then I'll share it, but I'll keep learning and digging further in. You know, this is real science. Ego gone. You're happy to be shown that you're wrong. In fact, you're grateful because it means you are closer to what's true. And in that kind of an environment, um, scientists would not be fighting each other. They would be helping each other for the common interest of finding out what is really going on and how to make it better. It's as simple as that. And promoting poisonous food and uh, body products that are so, you know, even clothes that are saturated in glyphosate, um, EMF frequencies in smart meters and cell phones that hurt all life forms, and they're still authorized. Things that you can inject into your body or swallow that are poisonous that are sold to you because um, they're going to prevent disease or make you healthy. Nobody with common sense would fall for that stuff for a second, no matter how scientific it sounds. You know, so we're, we're far along the dumbing down spectrum, and we need to turn that around if we'd like to keep living on the planet and decrease the amount of unnecessary suffering. So the whole, you look at the health issue right now, it's being used to get people to give up their liberties and their rights and the the fake pandemic, which there are people sick, but the easy cures for it are suppressed. That's really, really important to know that and understand it. It's easy to get over this so-called new sickness, and there's no indication whatsoever that it has anything to do with the virus because if you can't isolate the virus, you don't know if it exists. And if you don't know if it exists and you have no sample, you can't test for it even if you have a real test. And we don't even have a real test. The the medical community is using a fake test called PCR, which can't detect any kind of diagnostic answers of anything. And that was said not by a some kind of a crazy commentator with a point to prove. It was said by the inventor of PCR. <laughs> he said, you can never use this for diagnosis. Like, It's not just that it's inaccurate. It's not a diagnostic test. I mean, people are so brainwashed, it's hard for most of them to imagine that or even listen to that statement it's not a test it's not a diagnostic test and since it's not a diagnostic test 
all of the figures for the uh, laboratory diagnosed cases of COVID, they're all void. They're all they're all fraud. And the whole thing's based on that. Now, there's some clinically diagnosed cases that you see somebody who can't his lungs are working fine, but they can't get any oxygen. And they've got that syndrome that goes with that. That's real. And it's easy to deal with. But the cures for it are hidden by the medical system, the media, the government agencies. And now they're trying to censor anybody or kill anybody that says that, who knows what they're talking about. And uh, so it's a lot safer in the moment to say nothing and go along with the scam. And they want you now to inject yourself with a deadly uh, cocktail to change your own DNA. You know, you guys know, and I'm using up way too much of the time with commentary because I've got a, a video to show you, which we're not going to be able to finish, but I hope you'll you'll finish watching it on your own if you realize how important it is. Um, the injection that they're trying to force us to take changes ge- uh, your genetic code. So... Um, that's what it's meant to do in addition to a bunch of other unpleasant things. Nobody would ever take it who understands what it is. Nobody. And there are probably going to be millions of people who realize, oh, shoot, that was a big mistake and uh, are looking for remedies. So many of us are trying to have those ready, but there are, there are suggested hypo- hypothetical remedies right now. But I haven't talked to anybody in all the great doctors that have been on our show that is sure that they have a way to uh, overcome the bad effects of this injection that they're trying to force on everybody right now. It's it's mass crime against humanity, and it's part of a larger agenda to eliminate life on the planet. Um, anyway, that's what's going on. But the reason I even mention that is, you know, they've been doing these things called lockdowns where they say, we're going to keep you safe by destroying your business. And you're a hero if you go along with that suicidal agenda, which if we swallow that nonsense, we're really far gone, which unfortunately a lot of us are, but we, we can recover still. The other thing they're using to take away our rights besides health is climate change. And there's a real problem with weather manipulation by geoengineering. That's a threat to all life on the planet, too. Part of the same agenda. And it needs, I mean, any good authorities, like a good president, prime minister, would be willing to risk their life for calling for shutting it down the same day. Because even letting the geoengineering go on for one day is insanely suicidal. And that needs to be stopped. But um, the climate change thing is different. That's a fear agenda like the COVID hoax. And it's to say, make you think, oh my God, the climate's going to kill us. We're all going to boil to death. We have to stop using energy. Just like you have to stop using energy when you shut down your business. It's all toward trying to enslave people into a, a feudal type system prior to killing us. Sorry if that sounds weird. I don't say any of it lightly. It took me decades to really validate and verify and come to that conclusion. So the way that they're using climate change 
as a fear to help enslave humanity is not because they want to help climate change or make the climate better. It's because they want you to be un- unable to use energy at your will and to be subject yourself to 24-hour-a-day surveillance to make sure you don't use too much energy. And there's talk about making credit cards cut off and not let you charge anymore if you've used so much carbon. And uh, they're demonizing carbon as a primary element of life. In fact, human bodies are carbon-based life forms. Carbon is not evil. It wasn't a mistake of God. And it's at a very low level right now. If you, When they want to show you that it's uh, you know, terrifyingly high, they cut down the time element on the graph and show you in the very short term, it's going up a little bit now, but it's so low. That it, and there's no correlation between carbon levels and temperature, global temperature at all, none. And the reason that's hard to see is because the government has agencies that they make believe are to serve you, just like the health agencies, and they change the figures so that it, they can make it seem that the temperature is getting warmer and warmer, and they release those all over the place and all the platforms YouTube and all the others support it, and they publicize it everywhere and say, yeah, shoot, we didn't want to scare you, but yes, climate change is going to kill you unless you give up all your rights. And uh, it looks like the plan is for the lockdowns c- to continue justified by global warming and climate change. And um, some scientists are brave enough, a lot of them, to sign uh, petitions or... or uh, resolutions or statements that no it's not the global temperature is not getting warmer and thousands and thousands have signed that way more than have the other point of view even though it's not publicized but almost none of them are brave enough to go public and explain it and show the real data and if they do just like the people who tell the truth about covid and the medical system and about injections you have this little problem that you may get assassinated, and a lot of them have. But some are brave enough and realize, look, if we don't tell the truth about this, none of us survive anyway, so we have to do it, whatever happens. Those are the real heroes, not the ones who are suicidal and follow all the you know, crazy lockdown orders and things, masks and injections and things like that. So one of those brave people is a Ph.D. geologist who spent fit more than 50 years studying global climate. I mean, you can't get any more appropriate for climate change than that. And he's willing to expose that the original data taken at certain times, like in the 1920s and 30s, and what that was when they took the measurement, and how these wonderful agencies like NOAA and NASA and ICCC are taking that data and what they doing what they call adjusting it so that they can prove climate change that, and global warming that actually does not exist. And you can't say stuff like that and know that you're going to be safe to live. And Dr. Easterbrook does it anyway. Now, the video that I've dug up from him, and I've been in communication with him, and he's verified everything that he's got in massive detail. He has... Nothing to prove. He just says, no, this is the truth. You should not censor it, which is a 
really good approach, I think. And you can tell that he's giving this presentation to the Washington State uh, Committee on their state Senate, and they're kind of smirking and, oh, this crazy guy doesn't believe in climate change. He must be a, I don't know, a crazy person or a Russian agent or something. And he's just, he has a great, you know, response to that. Totally scientific. No political party to, to support. No you know, pro or against position to defend. He just wants to say, look, here's the data. And they try to trap him into saying, was well, this a conspiracy or something? And he doesn't fall for it. And he says, I don't know about that. I just, but he, he does, but he doesn't say so. Um, and he just gives them the data. And it's very powerful. So we don't, especially with my hogging, the time with the talking, we don't have time to really get to the end of this. It's an hour and a half presentation. Anybody who cares about global warming, climate change, life on Earth, the future of man, what they're going to do uh, for future lockdowns, which will be called climate lockdowns for our benefit, anyone who cares about any of that should take the time to watch this whole video. And I, I know that your time is really valuable. I would not say that normally. But this is really unique. It's amazingly still up uh, because I figured, you know, the powers that be assume you're too busy and too distracted to even care about watching this video or realize how critically important it is. This is a guy who's done the real homework, not just repeat what official agencies say, which is a really bad idea without checking it for yourself. He did. He's got the original data. So I'm going to try not to interrupt too much unless there's something I feel like I really have to inject. And then we're going to have to cut this off uh, early, which is like uh, about 37 minutes from now, because we have to get ready for the Planetary Healing Club meeting. And you're welcome to come to that. It's accessible through uh, planetaryhealingclub.com. And uh, if you have questions about it, just email me. Richard at GlobalLeadersConsulting.com, Richard at LostArtsRadio.com. But this guy, Dr. Easterbrook, is awesomely courageous, and he's done, really done his homework. So let's listen to some. I'll try to let it go as long as I can. I hope you're not going to get distracted and bored and think this is something irrelevant. This is really, really important. And... uh Pay attention, relax like you're at the movies, and we're going to have to cut it off early, as I say, but there's a link below the video, and uh, I suggest you watch the rest of it when we're done. So here's the beginning. So a little yes, professional very, courtesy back and forth. So, Dr. Eastbrook, welcome to the committee, and I will turn it over to you in just a little ground rules. During our work sessions, we try to keep it uh, a bit more informal so people can ask questions uh, because we consider this a learning opportunity for the committee here to be able to understand uh, what's going on and what you're presenting. So there will be a bit more informal. We'll stop for questions as people have them going through. That's fine. Okay. Uh, I'm open to any and all questions at any time. Um, let me start by uh, saying that uh, I'm happy to be here and share the information that I have with the committee. I have a lot of data, probably more than you want to know, uh, and a lot of it is in graphic form. And uh, what I will do is I'll show you the factual data uh, for some of the assertions that are in uh, Senate Bill 5502. And to do that, uh, I'm relying on some uh, sayings of our astronauts, uh, which you see on the screen, in God we trust, all others send data. 
so I'm bringing data, and I don't ask you to believe any opinions that I may have. You'll, you'll hear very few opinions from me. What you'll see is a lot of data, and I hope that the data is clear enough so you can make up your own minds, and I, you, won't, you won't need to, to ask what my um, opinion is. Uh, whoops, let's go back one. Um, to begin with, uh, I need to uh, say who I am, primarily because there has been a lot of politics injected into science these days. And so uh, I am simply um, a geologist with uh, 50 years of expertise in and research in global climate change all over the world. Uh, I'm a lifelong environmentalist. Uh, I am a scientist. I'm not political. I don't have any particular bias towards either party, so I have no political agenda. I'm not associ associated with or funded by any business group. I'm not a shill for big oil, big coal, big anybody. All of my research has been funded by governmental agencies. And I'm currently working uh, actively with an international group of geologists, atmospheric physicists, meteorologists, astrophysicists, oceanographers, and sea level experts, and other sciences in, in various parts of the world. Now, that's where I'm coming from. I thought I might start by uh, listing some things that you probably don't know about or haven't heard about because the news media isn't telling you. And I've listed a few of them here, there are a lot more, but some things that I will touch on later uh, in the presentation. Uh, and that is the global warming ended in 1998. That may come as a surprise, but I'll show you the data for it. And it is indeed true, and that has been admitted by the chairman of the UN group that has been pushing uh, CO2 as causing climate change. Even he admits there's been no global warming in 15 years. Uh, the Antarctic ice sheet is not melting. Contrary to headlines, you'll see about every other day that the Antarctic ice sheet is melting at an accelerating rate. It not only is not melting at an accelerating rate, it's not melting at all. The main ice sheet, and I'll show you the data for this, uh, is in fact growing, not melting. So we don't need to fear that the uh, ice caps are going to suddenly melt and cause all kinds of problems for us because they aren't. Sea level uh, has been rising globally and also locally at a rate of about seven inches per century as we've thawing out from a little ice age which occurred about 500 years ago. And the projections of anywhere from five feet to 20 foot rise of sea level, uh, as you'll see when I present the data, uh, is, is uh, beyond reality. Snowfall is not below normal. There have been headlines from time to time about in the Cascades, um, certainly, that the snowfall in the Cascades is diminishing because of global warming. That's not true. For the past five years, have set snowfall records, both uh, globally and in the Cascades. Um, CO2 cannot possibly cause global warming. That will come as a shock to you. I'm sure. And the reason is that there's so little of it. Uh, it is a trace gas. It has increased uh, in its atmospheric content by only eight one thousandths of one percent. If you double nothing, you still get nothing. And I'll, I'll comment more about this lately, uh, later. Uh, severe storms are not more frequent uh, than um, normal. When we get a big snowstorm in the east, they say, oh, it's because of global warming. When we hear about a, a hurricane on the east coast, they say it's because of global warming. Uh, it isn't. Uh, and I will show you data that shows that actually the extreme events, severe storms, are actually declining. They're not, they're, they're not becoming more frequent. And uh, finally, you may be surprised to know that the oceans are not acid. Oops. Uh, Mr. Chair? One second. Let's, uh... You want to go back? I think Senator Riker has a question. 
Oh. I'll have several later. Most of them I'll wait until the end. Just on that last point, the oceans are not acid. Are you saying that ocean acidification does not exist, or are you saying the oceans entirely are not acid? I think all of us would agree with that. Nothing the, is an acid, so. The what, oceans what are not pH, which is a measure of acidity, is measured on a scale, and 7 is neutral. The oceans have a pH of 8.2, which is alkaline, not acid. And I'll show you why they are not going to become less alkaline, much less more acid, with increasing temperature change, if that, in fact, were to happen. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So just to clarify my question, I'll be a little clearer here then. Do you believe that ocean acidification exists in the world's oceans today and here in the Northwest? No. I'll show you the data. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this in detail. If, if, you, if you'd like to wait till I get to those slides, it'll be clearer, I think. Badly. Thank you. It's very clear, and, and I'll, show you, I'll show you the data. So... What I did was I looked at specific issues that form the basis for Senate Bill 5802, and I listed six of them. And so what I did was I pulled out data that relate to all six of these premises that are uh, inherent and form the basis for Senate Bill 5802. Uh, regardless of, of the language of the bill, this is what uh, the bill was based on um, as, of, as of this weekend. Um, and I'll, I'll, you can read them, but emissions of greenhouse gases is a principal cause of climate change. A lot of data, I'll show you that. Sea level is rising at an increasing rate because of global warming. That's not true. I'll show you the data. Frequency of severe storms is increasing because of global warming. That's not true. Reduced winter storm packs and decreased summer stream flow is not true. Increasing acidification of the state's marine waters. That may or may not be true in terms of the, of the state's marine waters. Certainly it's not true of the oceans globally. Uh, and finally, the production of more electricity from renewable energy while phasing out coal-powered electricity uh, generation. I'll just uh, show you some data that shows what, what this would cost and uh, without commenting on whether coal plants are, are good or not. I'm not particularly um, in favor of coal-powered generation, but there are some numbers you might be interested in. So let's take these one by one. The first one is that greenhouse gases from human activities. Dr. Easterbrook, Senator, Senator Ranker has another you go question. back to the last slide? I, I didn't understand what your point number six was trying to get at. I, I heard you mention coal, that you're not necessarily in favor of coal-powered generation. What's, what's your point there? What are you going to tell my, us my about? My point is to show you, show you the relationship between coal-powered generation and other forms of electricity generation, uh, how much of it is from each of these categories, and what the cost of each is, and what, the, what changing from one to another might involve. I have no opinion on that. I'm just going to show you some numbers. And how that relates, to, sorry, Mr. Chair, and how that, how that relates to climate. Or you're just going to show us the costs on the generation. Uh, I'm, I'm just, well, it relates to climate because the rationale for moving from one form of energy generation to another uh, is climate. It's how much CO2 you put in the atmosphere. If that's not a, a, a realistic um, assertion, then it doesn't matter. Uh, but if it is, then there is, a, there is a concern that it's related to climate. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So let's look at uh, greenhouse gases. Um, but before I do that, uh, let me say something about global warming. Um, there's nothing new about global warming. Uh, it goes on all the time. It has been going on for thousands of years at much higher rates, much more intense for longer periods of time than we've experienced in the last uh, period of global warming since CO2 began to be elevated. 
this graph shows temperature on the on the left hand side and the date year uh, on the bottom. And what you will see is that um, there was a period of cooling from 1880 to 1915. Temperatures were going down. This is a, a global record. And then from 1915 to 1945, um, the climate warmed. And then it cooled again from 1945 to 1977. And that warmed again from 1977 to 1999. And since 1999, it has cooled slightly. Not a lot, but slightly. So what does that mean? Well, if we go back to the warming that occurred from 1915 to 1945, shown by this curve here, global warming occurred without any increased CO2 in the atmosphere. This was before the big surge of uh, CO2 emissions after World War II in 1945. So if you want to uh, put a, a mental uh, line in 1945, that's the breaking point between increasing CO2 and, and insignificant changes in CO2 prior to that. So this warming took place prior to increased emissions that occurred after 1945 and cannot possibly be ascribed to CO2 as a cause. Cannot be. And then in 1945, global emissions began to escalate very rapidly. And for 30 years, um, as the escalation continued, and we put more and more CO2 in the atmosphere every year, we had 30 years of global cooling. So the question then is, if we've had escalating CO2, which is supposed to cause global warming, why did we have global cooling during the initial period when CO2 was escalating so rapidly? It doesn't make sense. And then finally, there was a period from 1978 to 1998 when global temperatures rose again and, and CO2 was still rising. CO2 has been rising throughout this whole, whole interval. So there's only one period when CO2 was rising at the same time the temperature was. And we can take that back uh, even farther. If we go back 500 years, this graph shows essentially uh, temperature on the uh, left-hand side and the year AD on the bottom. Each one of these red peaks is a warm period. Each one of the blue peaks is a cool period. Climate is not constant. It's changing all the time, and it changes in cycles. Uh, warm, cool, warm, cool, warm, cool, with about a 30-year um, uh, time span between each one. So we could count these uh, warm periods, and we can count 20 periods of global warming and global cooling that have occurred in the past 500 years, none of which could possibly have been caused by CO2 because CO2 had not begun to rise until 1945. In other words, we have an instance here of 20 periods of global warming, similar to what we've experienced in the period from 1978 to 1998 that could not have been caused by CO2. They were caused by natural causes. That's important. 20 periods of global warming that can only be ascribed to natural causes in the last 500 years. If we go back even farther, if we go back 10,000 years, uh, this is temperature on the right hand, left hand side, sorry, it's not labeled. And uh, these are years before present on the bottom. Um, the red curve you see here, are these are temperatures that are higher than the present temperatures. And so this is 10,000 years ago at the left hand side. This is present on the right hand side. Look how much of the last 10,000 years the temperatures have been higher than they are now. 
almost all of the last 10,000 years, except for the period beginning about 1,300 years ago, almost all of that, the temperatures on Earth were actually warmer than they are right now. This is, warming is nothing new. As a matter of fact, it's the norm for the last 10,000 years. The blue periods here are from the Little Ice Age, which was a period of global cooling that occurred from about 900 AD um, and may still be going on uh, for, for all we know. So what about all the claims in that temperatures are warmer now than they have ever been? These are apparently not true. And they come, those claims come from manipulation of data. Uh, here is the, the real original data. Uh, the hottest year of record, uh, number one for the number of, um, this is the number of um, temperature records that were broken. Number one is 1936. Everybody has acknowledged that 1936 was the warmest period, warmest year of this century until NOAA and NASA began to manipulate the old data and made it cooler. And then they elevated the recent temperature, made them warmer, and so they come up with a headline saying, oh, it's warmer now than it was then. This is the original data before they manipulated it. Uh, I want to say something. If we take this to the top, just briefly uh, top about 10. That. Um, Dr. Easterbrook is being really polite, and he's saying manipulating the data. He's What he means is that NOAA and NASA and the UN and you know, with complicity with the media and the government agencies pushing terror about global warming, they just lied. They just changed the data so that instead of 1936 being the warmest year on record, they just changed it so it wasn't anymore. This is a really big deal. And, you know, if you know anything about these government agencies and you've looked into it and you understand about the United Nations and the difference between what it was supposed to be and what it actually is and the crimes that it's involved in then and they say oh we're terrified of global warming who's saying that who's putting out the data and and dr easterbrook is is unusual because he didn't just be suspicious he went back and dug up the original data before they fa falsified it he calls it manipulation this is really not that complicated. They had an agenda to terrify everybody about global warming while people who are saying it all the time go and buy mansions on the ocean because they know it's a lie. And it's just all been made up. It's hard for people to grasp because we've been trained all of our lives that these government agencies with all these letters in their name, you know, IPCC and NOAA and NASA and United Nations and just like the World Health Organization and all the other ones, they just sound so official and impressive. And the reality, and this, this is such deep programming, it's very hard for us to break free of that and say, wait a minute, what are they actually doing? And in this case, Dr. Easterbrook is being really polite. They're manipulating the data. They're falsifying it. They're changing data for fake data. 1936, original data he showed, that was not um, with the CO2 as high as it is now, and it was warmer. That was the warmest period. And the agencies decided, well, we can't have that. Somebody might find out. And so they just change it, and they call it adjusting the data. These are massive crimes against humanity because they want to use the health scare of COVID, 
which is all man-made, and the climate change threat, which is made up. I mean, the weather's being messed up by geoengineering, which should stop instantly if people knew about it. But the climate change is made up, and Dr. Easterbrook is very politely showing the figures, whereas almost everybody else who's an acceptable scientist in the power structure is just parroting what the corrupt agencies put out and saying, oh, well, NOAA says this. I mean, this is their map. This is the red and the blue and everything. I mean, like, forget it. We're all dead, you know. And the UN said, well, we hate to admit it, but yes, you are all dead because of climate change, unless you give up all your rights. And that is a, you know, possible way to get out of it. Is there something wrong with that picture? Are we smart enough still to see that or not? And Dr. Easterbrook is going into very dangerous territory, um, figuring that it's worth a try. And I hope you're not bored by the monotone of this Senate hearing, but this is really important, you guys. I'm hoping that some of you will take it seriously and watch the rest of it when we have to stop in about 17 minutes. So listen carefully if you can and go back to the little bit that we can still play you and then it's up to you. Let's go back to it. Number two was 1934, uh, three was 1939, four was 1931, uh, five was 1930, uh, six was 1933, seven was 1938, and guess what? They're all in the 1930s. 1930s was the hottest decade of the century. Not the present, not the last decade, but the, the hottest of century. Over here, you look at all these 2,000. These are all second tier, 10, 11 through 20. This is what the present temperature has been doing, and it's nowhere close to the, to the other. And if you plot that data, this is what it looks like. Uh, this is a number of temperature records that were broken in any given year. These are years down here. So here we are right here, and now we're breaking somewhere around 2,000 records, temperature records for warmth. And you think, wow, 2,000, that's a lot. But look at what it was doing in 1936 and 1934, 10,000. We are, we are setting record highs at a rate of about only a fourth of those that occurred in the 1930s. Dr. This is hard data. Uh, you can, question? No, go ahead and finish the slide, then we'll have a question. Pardon me? Go ahead and finish the slide, then we'll have a question. Oh, I'm essentially finished. The, the, the point here is that the 1930s were the warmest decade, and there were 10,000 uh, temperature records set in the 19, in 19, in two years, in 1936 and 1934, and we're setting now records somewhere in the world at a rate of about a fourth of that, about 2,000. Senator Ranker has a question. Um, so let me, let me rattle off a couple of peer-reviewed scientific facts that I have before me, and I would like your opinion on those. I understand that last November was the globe's 333rd month of above-average global temperatures. To, to put that in perspective, that would mean that if you are 27 years old today, you have never experienced a month with a global temperature below the uh, average. You have a question, Senator so, Ranker? Yeah, I asked okay. it in the beginning. Thanks. I want to know his opinion on this. And then the second one is that, uh, again, peer-reviewed data here. We Senator Ranker, we're, we're gonna, we'll come back to that one later. Yeah, we're going let Dr. Let Easterbrook, let no, we're let Dr. Easterbrook finish his presentation. I'm happy to answer you your question, but I, I'll show you some here, data. Let me answer it for you. what you just put out in your slide goes yes. contrary to the data that I have before me. So I'm just curious if what you're basing your metadata on, where your samples are taken from, and then also what's your opinion of the data that I have before me, which seems contrary to what you're putting forward. 
I don't know that it's contrary. And what I, what I just said a moment ago was that I'm showing you the original data and what you're looking at is the data that has been tampered with by NOAA and by NASA. And I could, I could show you curves of what that data looked like in 1936, what it looked like in 1980, what it looked like in 1990 and 2000. And the temperatures, the high temperatures in the 1930s get cooler every year. They put out a new issue and the temperatures that are in the 2000 plus uh, get warmer because they have, they have frankly tampered with the data. That's the difference between what you're looking at and what I'm looking at. Mine is the original data. One quick follow-up, Mr. Chair. Sure. So the National Science Foundation, NASA, and NOAA have manipulated the data. Yes, that's true. I can show you the I can show you the data that they that they have manipulated. I'm I'm not saying that um, they have done something uh, which is scurrilous and, and evil. What I'm saying simply is something that everybody will agree on, and that is that they have what they call adjusted the data. And if you look at how they have adjusted it, the 1930s always get lower. Because of the adjustments they made from the original data, and the 2,000 plus always get warmer. That's the case, and we, and I, I can show you uh, data that will that will indicate that if you like. Thank you. All right. Uh, here is a, a curve of, of what's called a heat wave index. Uh, these are for really hot times, and uh, again, simply to point out. The, what I was mentioning a moment ago, the, the heat wave index for 1936 is right here. Uh, and look at the, the period of 1930-1940 relative to where we are now. This again confirms what I have just said, that the 1930s were warmer than they are right now. We had more heat records broken, we had higher temperatures, it was a hotter decade. Um, and there's hard data for, for all of that. Uh, we hear about droughts. We had a, we had a drought uh, last year in the summer in the Midwest, which was um, not a good thing, devastating. These things happen. Uh, this is a what's called a, a drought index, and uh, the down um, trending curves here, which are colored yellow, uh, are times of, of drought when the um, rainfall is below normal and green is wet. And so if you just look at uh, from about 19, roughly 1980-something uh, up to about 2000, you'll see that actually there's more, there are more wet times than there are dry times. This is not an ongoing drought. And if you look also at the duration of the drought, uh, you'll find they generally last two to three years, something like that. And then they move on. So the drought this summer, last summer, uh, was bad. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it did a lot of, it cost a lot of farmers a lot of money, but it wasn't in any way unusual. Uh, again, uh, more data that looks at the relationship uh, between temperatures. Um, th this is the, the count of hot temperature records set, uh, similar to, to the data I just showed you, 1930s uh, were uh, by far greater than, uh, than recently in, in the, the past couple of decades. And look at the relationship to CO2. There was no correlation whatsoever to CO2. And in fact, um, this big hot spell in the 1930s occurred before CO2 began to rise. And so it cannot have been caused by CO2. And then we've had some cooling in between and then another warm period. There's nothing mysterious about global warming. It happens all the time. That's not the issue. The issue is what's causing that global warming. Uh, and, and the same thing is true if you take almost any place. Uh, here are 100 degree days compared to CO2 for New York City. Again, there's no relationship between CO2 and the number of hot days in, in, in New York. So the conclusions are that 
Um, Eighty percent of all maximum temperature records were set prior to 1960, before accelerated human CO2 emissions began in 1945. Thus, the present conditions, the present um, warming, or the recent warming, has nothing to do with CO2. Present drought conditions in the Midwest are part of a normal weather pattern. This is weather, not climate. Um, climate is generally taken to be a period of about 15 years or so. Uh, weather is day-to-day, year-to-year, whatever. So if you're looking at an annual number, that's weather. It's not climate. And so uh, what we're looking at when you see a severe storm or a period or, or an unusually cold or, or warm winter or summer, um, what you're looking at is really is weather has, and uh, is not related to um, global clim- climate. Uh, weather extremes happen all the time regardless of what the climate is doing. And the present drought conditions are not as severe as those in the 1930s, the warmest decade of the century before CO2 level. So what happened to global warming? I mentioned earlier that global warming stopped in 1998. And my guess is you probably have never heard that because the press will not print anything which is adversely uh, related in any way to uh, CO2 as a cause of a climate change. But here's the real data. Uh, the graph on the left-hand side is temperature on the left-hand axis and year. This is satellite data. This is the best data we have. Um, it is untampered, unadjusted. It is uh, taken from real readings from satellites, and it gives a good overall global average. Uh, this peak right here, um, is 1998, and since then it has gone down, came up a little bit, and is, as in recent years has been on a sharp downward bend. And I'll show you what the overall trend is for the decade in a moment. And that is confirmed by ground measurements. These are, are mostly ground measurements. The top two here uh, are satellite measurements compared to ground measurements, which are these lower three colors right here. And you can see the shape of the curve is essentially the same. So the ground data and the satellite data essentially agree that we have indeed had global cooling uh, for the last uh, um, decade or two. Here's the trend. Trend means the rate at which it's getting warmer or cooler. So beginning about 1998, which is right here, this is the trend. Down is colder, up is warmer. Look at the downward trend uh, between 1998, and this only goes to 2004, but it's continuing on down. Uh, here is, these are winter temperatures for the U.S., and again, look at the same trend. Starting about uh, 2001, the average winter temperature is going down at about minus four degrees um, during this period. That's the, that's the trend. It's getting colder at a rate of about four degrees. Uh, another plot of that same sort of thing, again showing the green line here, cool is down, warm is up. So again showing a cooling trend uh, since about 2001. And all the while this is going on, we hear in the headlines that global warming is accelerating and it's getting hotter and hotter and in fact it's getting cooler and cooler. Here are winter temperatures uh, for the past decade, from 2000, I should say from 2001 to 2010-11. Uh, in, the, in the north central states, it's 8 degrees cooler per decade. Uh, the same in, in the, in the uh, north central area, um, and they range all the way from about uh, 2 in the Pacific Northwest, minus 2 to minus 3 uh, in the southeast. All of them, however, are colder. It's not getting warmer in the winter, it's getting colder in the winter. This is NOAA data. I'm sorry, this is NCDC, that's NASA data. 
I beg your pardon. Hey, Dr. Eastberg, Senator Ranker has a question. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Two questions, if I may. Uh, the first one is, have you taken into account uh, uh, volcanism, uh, solar radiance, and other factors such as that in your data? Have you removed those from the picture? Or uh, which I didn't understand. Uh, the, like, volcanic events, solar radiance, and other issues like that, have you taken those into consideration when accumulating your data? Yes, but this data doesn't, this speaks only to the temperature change. It doesn't speak to the cause. And we can talk about the cause later, but the answer to your question is yes, I've considered those in great detail. I work with, I work with um, some solar physicists, some atmospheric physicists, uh, some astronomers, and we all agree on what's happening with the solar. Uh, in terms of volcanic activity, I'm a geologist, and I, I can um, judge that for myself. And I can tell you that volcanic events are very short. They're like little punctuation marks here and there. They don't persist. They're not a factor. They give you a, a one-year, two-year spike, and then they're gone. Okay, so in the follow-up, and, and this gets back to uh, the data I have before me, which seems, again, contrary, but uh, so w you're talking about a trend, particularly over the last decade, maybe 15 years of cooling, yet what I have before me is that 2000 to 2012 was the warmest 12-year period in instrumental record. In other words, since we've been recording heat of the planet and, the, and what we're in, the last 12 years were the hottest on record. And that's peer-reviewed data that I have before me. And so my question to you is, is, is that because what I'm looking at is, has been manipulated by NASA and NOAA and the National Science Foundation? Or what, what's the difference here? Because we obviously have conflicting information before us. Right. I, I don't know what, what your data is or, or where it came from, so I can't answer that specifically of why it's different. What I can tell you is that the data that I'm showing you is original data, and as I've just shown you, the 1930s were warmer, uh, the warmer decade than the, than the uh, past decade, if you use original data. That's what I'm telling you. Thank you. And if you have something that's different than that, my guess would be, although without knowing what your data is, I can't say for sure, is probably that this is manipulated data by NOAA, NASA, or the sub um, subunit of, of NASA that deals with climate. And um, what they do uh, is they make what they call adjustments to their data, the net effect of which is to make the earlier warm periods, like the 1930s, cooler and raise the temperature of the last decade artificially, uh, not from the original data. Mine is original data. Is this a conspiracy? Uh, I'm not into conspiracy, so I have no comment on that. I'm simply a data purveyor, so I'm going to prevent you. I'm going to, I'm going to present you with data, and you can draw your own conclusions. Okay, so I, I want to cut probably in there didn't and make a comment. Um, that was very skillful by Dr. Easterbrook. He, it was a trap to make him look silly because everybody's been trained that conspiracies don't exist except for bank robbers. They ex bank robbers can be in conspiracies and it's, and it's real. But anybody else, conspiracies is nonsense. And who do you think is telling us that? Do you know when that started, that programming that conspiracies don't exist? It was after John Kennedy got killed as president. And people figured out, wait a minute, Lee Harvey Oswald was one person shooting from a certain position. You know, they mentioned the grassy knoll and things like that. And that was one one person, one position. He could only shoot from one side. And bullets hit president kennedy from two directions that were almost opposite one person can't do that that 
they started calling it the magic bullet theory because one bullet came from the front and the other bullet came from around the other side. And they said one person can't normally do that in the real world. And what does that mean? Oh, there were more than one, more than one person was involved. What is that? A conspiracy. And so they wanted to um, make it seem like that had no legitimacy and to uh, get rid of that theory that there were more than two people. So they called it a conspiracy theory. Conspiracy means acting together for a common goal. Uh, it's usually used to denote some kind of a crime or immoral action. Clearly, the Kennedy Association assassination was not done by one person. It was pretty much the opposite. It was a massive operation from within the system to get rid of somebody who was questioning things that they shouldn't question. Kennedy, in my you know experience from investigating him and his uh, assassination, was a really good person. He had made some mistake, made a lot of mistakes, and had some misunderstandings. But his motive was actually to help the country and help the world, and that's not allowed. And so that's why he had to be killed. And the same thing is going on now, and it's gone on in a lot of cases. Uh, many doctors who have dared to talk about what's the state, real state of allopathic medicine, and especially, especially the issue of injecting people with poisonous things that supposedly prevent disease, and there's no evidence that they ever have. I've looked at it. Um, those people are, are often killed. That's just how it works. And so when the senator, you know, obviously a person who's been highly programmed to worship authority and always believe official agencies, says, are you sure, Dr. Easterbrook, these are official NOAA figures, official NASA figures, official uh, National Science Foundation uh, approved figures? And are you talking about some kind of a conspiracy? Well, you know, obviously it's a massive conspiracy. It's bigger than people would even imagine. But Dr. Easterbrook doesn't fall for it. He says, well, I don't know about conspiracies. I'm not into conspiracies. All I have is these numbers, just the data. But he's trying to get the senators to understand the difference between original data and adjusted manipulated data. And I don't, I don't think they understood it. I don't think they could comprehend that a government agency would ever do anything dishonest. The United Nations bosses or the health authorities or people within the government, I mean, how they... They can't lie. They're government. They're intergovernmental agencies or panels like IPCC. They can't lie, right? So even though Dr. Easterbrook risked his life by coming and testifying and being videoed and is still on the Internet amazingly, um, I don't think they got it. And the the programming to the conspiracy to to do the mental programming along with heavy emotional programming that these things can't be false. If the UN is saying it, of course global warming is going to kill all of us. And they're very clear that the mainstream media, which is an absolute criminal organization network, um, is supporting terror about global warming. So is the UN. So are these agencies that are totally corrupt. And it, the senator, and we got to get off because I got to get ready for the club meeting. Um, 
the senator is saying, these data are peer-reviewed papers. And he's saying, oh, oh my God, peer-reviewed, it has to be true. It's like in uh, doctoral programs in the universities, they're saying, CDC said it. You can't question that. It's true. Science is settled. And don't question the science. This is all completely anti-science approach. And the reality is, and I've looked at this a lot, I've talked to journal owners about the whole peer review process and about what would be approved for a journal. And a lot of them, and they talk off record, journal owners, I said, if I had a cure for some uh, incurable, supposedly incurable disease, chronic incurable disease like cancer or something else, and it required no drugs, no radiation, no chemotherapy, no surgery, and it was cheap, and I submitted it for publication, would you publish it? And they all said, absolutely not. We'd never be allowed to survive if we did that. So the whole peer review process is completely corrupt. And there are good people in it, but they get rid of those people as soon as they realize that they're there. And it kind of reminds me, and the, the status of the peer review process right now is this old story about uh, crab fishermen fishing for uh, crabs off a pier, off a boat in close to shore. And they put down a, this trap with usually meat in it of some kind. And the crabs go in to eat the meat. And then they, you pull up on the rope and the, the sides of it, like a pyramid, fold together. And they pull it up and they throw the crabs in a bucket. And if you're a crab, this is a really bad position because you're going to be boiled to death really soon. And one of the crabs starts thinking, well, maybe I should climb out. And he cl- starts climbing out. And the other crabs grab his legs and pull him back in. They don't want anybody escaping. That's the peer review process. And in history, usually the biggest opposition to the really great, brilliant breakthrough science discoveries is from the science community because of the corruption and from governments. And that's exactly what's happening now. So for anybody that wants to look at this with a truly scientific attitude, which is connected to our chances of survival as a spe- as a species on the planet has to just drop the ego as step one. You can't think I'm a hardcore climate, you know, uh, global cooling fan, or I absolutely know global warming is happening, and I won't look at anything to the contrary because they're all bad. I mean, if you have any attitude like that, you're never going to find out what's true. So you have to be brave enough to say, all right, I believe in global cooling or I believe in global warming, but I believe more in finding out whatever is true. And if I'm wrong, of course I'd correct it. Why would I want to waste my life defending a point of view that turns out to be wrong? You know, it's great when you find out you're wrong, then you can correct yourself. And the attitude has been discouraged in what's... taught as science in the universities now. They teach you to hold on to one point of view, memorize what the agencies say, whether it's NOAA, NASA, CDC, whatever. And anybody that argues with you is anti-science. So, again, when you look at the point, which is, is life going to survive and at what quality level on Earth? Because that's the point. Otherwise, it's a bunch of academic discussion and there, it's a waste of time unless it's directly connected to what can we do to improve life on Earth. That's it. 
and um, their teaching in the universities and the government and the corporations to never question authority. And it leads you down to a, whether or not humanity survives this program of extermination, which is very sophisticated, or whether it doesn't, is going to come down to a consciousness test. How much are we devoted to defending our own ego positions and showing how everybody else is an idiot and we're right? And how much are we willing to just recognize that in ourselves, throw it away and say, I just want to know what's true. And then I'll improve and correct my own perception so I come into line with it and keep questioning it. Even after you correct yourself, you might have to do it again. That's about real science and it's not taught anymore. And the peer-reviewed process has become part of a program to keep people from breaking through to understanding things so that the enslavement agenda can continue, which it is. And the global climate lockdowns are planned for the very near future. And whether that actually happens on the heels of the COVID lockdowns or together with them depends on whether we want to keep being zombies or become conscious. So I think that's really the issue under the, all the others, because if people wake up, it would be like in the 60s when they said, what if they gave a war, realizing that Vietnam was a corrupt war like all the others, almost all the others? And what if they gave a war and nobody showed up, nobody came? Well, what if they gave a pandemic and nobody came? What if they gave a climate scare and nobody came? They couldn't take away everybody's rights unless they can make you scared unless they can make you believe like a new religion that the agencies tell the truth, which they do not. There's a lot of good people who work in them, and those get mistaken for the people in charge. The ones at the top know what they have to do. So this climate issue is really important, but it's not just the climate. It's all the things that are going together to make up the overall agenda. And the issue is real simple. We either be, remain as zombies and get more and more unconscious, or we get brave and realize, wait a minute, this actually matters, and start paying attention. Upgrade your own life, because that's where you have to start, otherwise you can't help other people if you don't help yourself first. You know, being selfish in a wise way like that and improving yourself is the most generous thing you can do for everybody, because then, then you can be useful. So we have a lot of work to do, and the time is short. Um, it's like Jerry Reed's song, A Long Way to Go and a Short Time to Get There. That's true. I mean, we're going to have a ch- If we fail in time, we'll have other chances, but this is really important because if we don't get it now, this could get a lot more unpleasant, and I don't think that would be a good idea. So anyway, I hope you f- found that interesting. And... Um, Planetary Healing Club meets in 22 minutes. That's why we had to cut it off. There will be a link below the video for people that would like to see the rest of Dr. Easterbrook's presentation. I think it's worth looking at, studying, and sharing as much as you can. I've been in touch with him personally for years, but I told you it was dangerous to talk about this stuff. Very dangerous to your life and those around you. And the last communication I got from him, he said he had a bad accident, and then silence. So, hopefully he's okay. And if, if you're listening, Dr. Easterbrook, please get a hold of me. We're, 
wanting you to be all right and uh, appreciating your work. So thank you. Um, go to lostartsradio.com to find out the rest of our schedule and what platforms we are not um, banished from. And share the links. Help us get around the censorship. Donate if you have money to keep us on the air. Lostartsradio.com has a donate button. And subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio is another way to do it. Um, that will keep us going if you have the resources and want to help. Otherwise, appreciate yourself and find out what your potential is. It's pretty amazing compared to what we've been told. And uh, we'll see you in the club if you want to go there, planetaryhealingclub.com. Otherwise, remember the Sunday guest show. It's going to be incredible tomorrow. And uh, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next time. Take it easy. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our Subscribestar levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on Big Tech's platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. 
We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows, except the band ones, are on our YouTube channel, at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month, where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with hosts Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.